Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 140, My Voice to Your Ears. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Brendan as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Alex? I'm doing fantastic, and today we're going to be talking about a topic I feel like I have somewhat some experience in, so uh, I am excited for this one too. Well, I'm excited for all the episodes, but yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think this could be a very fun one. So before we jump into the topic of public speaking, I'm sure the listeners would love to know who is Brendan. Now that is the question of the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I am just to give you a, a general uh, bio, I guess. I'm 20 years old. Uh, I live in California in Central Valley. Uh, I grew up in an agricultural community, so I've always been around farming and dairies and that sort of thing. So I kind of grew up with the cowboy lifestyle, I guess you could say. Um, I'm currently in my third year at college and going to Fresno State University to study to be an agricultural teacher, minoring in communications in case I want to do something more with the podcast era or if I want to do more public speaking style stuff like we're going to be talking about today. And yeah, I just, you know, I don't want to go too far into depth just because I don't want to waste all the time on your episode. But, you know, I like public speaking. I like ag, obviously. I like talking to people. I've, I've been involved in online communities a lot lately. That's where I met Alex. Uh, just, you know, normal kids stuff, video games, reading books, playing guitar, you know, the usual. Well, first of all, you're never going to waste my time. This is your episode. You can go as long as you want, share as much as you want as well. And you know what? You've done a lot more than what I did at 20 years old. So, hey, good on you. I appreciate that. I'd be lying if I said you're the first person to tell me that. But. <laughs> Am I the first person from Canada to tell you that? I have to say you probably are. Yes. I don't know if I've talked to many Canadians. <laughs> well, there you go. Now you have a new Canadian. We're family now because everybody who comes on my show is family. So you have a new Canadian brother. Perfect. I will happily take that. And right before we jump into the topic of today, do you have any social media links, websites, projects, or even, let's say, a podcast that you would love to share with the listeners? Well, I'm happy you asked. Uh, so, yeah, I actually do run two podcasts of my own. Uh, one is called Talk Ag to Me. It's uh, Talk Ag to Me, and it's all about agriculture, teaching consumers about where their food comes from, just having basic conversations with people about the process through which their food is grown and and the steps it takes to get to their plate and all the different things that go into that. And then I have a second podcast that I've uh, very recently started, and it's called the Gambit Speech Podcast. Uh, it's recently went through a name change, and it's all about public speaking. It's a basic survival guide to public speaking, talking about you know the ins and outs of of how to get over your nervousness, how to become confident in public speaking, how public speaking can make you more confident, all all that kind of stuff. And actually. Alex here is is actually uh, a host on or not a host I guess in, in two of my episodes on, on on each podcast. So by the time you guys are hearing this, those podcasts will already be up, so you guys can go listen to his episodes. And um, yeah, by that time I should also have websites open for both of those. So it should be talkagdemy.com and gambitspeechproject.com. That's perfect. I'll put all those links down below so people can go check that out, show some love. And yes, today we're doing this thing where uh, Brendan's coming on my podcast to talk about his hobby, and then right after we're doing two of his podcasts. So. We're practicing our public speaking skills, <laughs> but we're not really in public. We're private speaking skills, I guess, in this case, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, it's, it's still kind of public. People are going to hear it. Ah, future public <laughs> speaking skills. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're time travelers. <laughs> That's perfect. I'll put those all down <laughs> below. And now we're going to jump into the topic of public speaking. So for those who are not very familiar with what that is, so, you know, when you hear public speaking, it's not just you go out in public and you talk to trees and birds and stuff like that it's there's a little more to it so mind giving a description of what public speaking is uh in, in its most basic form public speaking is just a public form of communication and most people tend to associate it with just stage speaking that's not at all the the, the case uh, public speaking can take all kinds of different forms in terms of debate interview styles anything that has you talking in in a large group of people and you may not be the only one talking that day maybe it's a panel you're on maybe it's you know part of a, a socratic circ uh, uh, sorry i can't remember what it's called it's socratic seminar is that what it's called? The the circle where you talk about st like stuff. And, you know, it's just it's, it's a, a form of communication that involves you kind of speaking on, on behalf of yourself in front of a large group of, or audience. And usually it's about a topic that you choose, but sometimes not always. Um, and yeah, it's 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 more or less a, a, an open form of communication is the simplest way of, to put it. So I do a lot of that apparently every day. <laughs> so actually for you, how did you actually get introduced to public speaking? See, that is a really fun story and I love telling it because it always is such a, it's, it's a, it's a story that's near and dear to my heart. And, uh, what I mean by that is, so you may not believe this from our two hour conversation that we had, uh, last week, but I used to be an incredibly shy kid. I mean, like I couldn't talk to adults. I couldn't talk to girls. I was just like 
super introvert and, you know, wouldn't talk to anyone. I just like to lock myself in my room and read and play video games. And, you know, I, I was not a social butterfly at all. Um, that changed when I got into high school and uh, more or less because I got involved in a leadership development program that's also based around agriculture. I always get back to that theme. It's called FFA. And I'm not sure if, if you have heard of FFA at all, cause it's only in, in the United States. Uh, but it stands for the future farmers of America. And, uh, basically the premise of it is you learn leadership development skills like job interview, as far as handshaking goes, uh, networking ability, uh, public speech, all this, all these kinds of skills. And it's all based in the foundation of agriculture. So you learn about them in the context of farming and, and the, you know, producing the product of your toil to say in the least. And so I was somewhat forced to join FFA. My family had all been through it and they all loved it and they all had great experiences. So they said, I have to try a year of it before I'm allowed to quit because I had no interest in doing it whatsoever. I thought it was really boring. I really just, I, I was very interested in machines. I want to be a mechanical engineer more than anything. And that just, it did not sound like my cup of tea at all. I didn't want to play with cows. I didn't want to speak in front of people. It just sounded boring to me. But needless to say, I, I tried it for my first year. I got a steer, which is for those of you who don't know, it's, it's a, a bull that's not capable of reproduction for various reasons. And I, I raised it for the county fair and I sold it off. And in that first year, I was forced to try a couple different team uh, teams by my ag teacher. Uh, he was a great man and he made me promise that if I ever got famous, I would shout him out. And this is about as close as I'm going to get for a while. So I'm, I'm going to give him a little shout out. So to Dave Catano, he's a great, great man. He definitely inspired me to do a lot in my life. And he pushed me very far, which is exactly what I needed when I was 14. Because like all 14-year-olds, I was just a, a moody you know, kid that thought he knew everything and didn't want to deal with people all the time. So I quickly learned that that was not the right attitude to have. And over time, I kind of got brought out of my shell. I kind of got pushed outside, outside my comfort zone a lot, which really, really helped me build myself as a person. And by my junior year, I was a lot more vocal, a lot more social. I was getting to meet people that I'd never met before. I, I very quickly learned the the skill of walking into a room and walking out with three new friends. It was always just kind of something that I, I naturally adapted after being involved in FFA, kind of being forced to go meet people. And it really helped me over time. And my junior year, I joined a public speaking competitive team because we, we had those. And I was actually trained in public speaking. I'd always done like little speeches here and there in front of class or maybe one competition uh, for a, a contest called Open and Closing. But I had never actually done formal public speaking, just me in front of the audience on the stage before. And I decided I wanted to try it. I thought it looked cool. I, I really admired a lot of people who who had uh, you know been mentors of mine that I looked up to, and they were great speakers. So I thought, okay, if I want to be like these guys, I need to be a great speaker. So I went to my teachers and said, hey, I want to speak. I want to be part of your team. Train me. And they did. They they took me under their wing. I had tons of training. Uh, I spent hours and hours and hours and months researching before I even gave my first speech. I just had, you know, massive binders of information that I had been doing research on just so I had all the information I needed for the speech. And I started practicing and I was terrible at it. And I was, you know, I stuttered a lot and I kind of fumbled over myself and I wasn't very animated. I was very reserved with my arms crossed while I was speaking. Like I was not a good speaker whatsoever. I just knew a lot of information, which doesn't, I mean, it helps with, with writing the speech, but it doesn't do so good when you're trying to present that kind of information. So by my senior year, which was only a year later, I very, very rapidly kind of got past that stage of my life. I was very open, very flowy. I could walk around the stage and socialize. I could bring personality into my speeches. I could bring passion where passion was needed and I could take away passion where passion wasn't needed. And I learned the logistics of what makes a speech a good speech. And from there, it kind of just evolved even more. I, after graduating, I actually, so my senior year, I went all the way to the state level for my state, for my speaking competition, lost out in the second round, which was a little upsetting, but Hey, I, I worked really hard and I came a long way, so I wasn't upset about it that much. And after I got out of that round, my coach actually came and asked me if I would come back and mentor the kids the next year. So for the past two years, I've been help, helping coach that same team that taught me how to speak. And I've mentored other people in, in public speaking. It's just always kind of been a passion of mine. So I, I've admired speakers for my you know, for my entire high school career, at least I've, I've watched, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan and John F. Kennedy, like all these great speakers. I've always admired their charisma and their strength and their power and their words. And I always wanted to replicate that. So the long and short of it, that's my that's my story in this 
craft. It's a beautiful story. And I love, <laughs> I love the journey of it, how you started off as somebody who was shy, somebody who did not like to be seen in public, not seen in public. And I'm not saying like you're a display piece, but I'm saying <laughs> in the idea of like, okay, I don't want to in- integrate myself, but the more you stepped out of your comfort zone. And once again, everybody has their own threshold. You don't have to mm. do it if you don't need to. It's all up to you. But you found a passion for it. And your teacher sounds very, very, very kind. And also shout out to him, like you said. And this is an odd question, but related to your teacher, I know it's really hard to pinpoint one specific thing. But what would you say is the most important thing that your teacher taught you? Like if you had to narrow it down to one thing. Mm, that is a very <laughs> difficult question. <laughs> um. So the hard part about it is that teacher did do a lot for me. He taught me a lot and he pushed me very far. But I had three other teachers besides him that were also mentoring me at that time. He was the one that got me the furthest. He, he kind of pushed me that first step. And then the others took me from there and trained me. I have two that I consider my primary mentors, him and then another teacher of mine, uh, Kevin Kuhlwein. And he unfortunately passed away a little over a year ago. And so that was kind of hard on me. But those two I've, I've looked up to for my, you know, since I was a freshman in high school. So for the past six years, and they both taught me a ton. And I think that the, the most important lesson that I've learned from both of them is that try anything once. You know, don't don't knock something until you try it, basically, which I know is an old cliche, but it really changed my perspective on a lot of things when I fought for them, you know, nonstop saying I'm not going to be a speaker. I'm not going to be this, I'm not going to be that. And they said, try it. Do one, you know, do it for a week. See if you like it. And if you don't like it, fine, you don't have to do it, but try it at least. And I would try it and I really enjoyed it. And so ever since then, I've been a lot more open to trying new things, which is something that my parents struggled to get me to do for 14 years. So that's a pretty, pretty big accomplishment. Now, this might be an odd question, but since you had teachers who taught you how to do it and you have inspirations like MLK, this is once again, a really hard how to phrase this, but do you have any let's say inspiration in the sense that you feel like your speaking style resembles somebody like either Lincoln or uh, anything like that? You know, that's a really interesting question because I've thought about my speech style a lot lately and I've been studying speeches from all kinds of speakers lately. I have books that just have speeches of, of famous speakers and I've been reading through them and seeing if my style adapts to any of them. And really, my style is fairly unique and, and from what I can tell. And that's not to say that it's better in any, by any means. It's definitely not. But my style is somewhat – it's not a, a completely unique style in that nobody else speaks like me. But it is a unique style because it's – so in FFA, when we were taught to speak in high school, we are taught to speak a very particular way. We all had different personalities. And we all had different uh, – slight differentiation in our style. But we're taught a particular way of speaking that – isn't always the most ideal for your average speech. It kind of works for the competition and only the competition. After getting out of high school, I very quickly realized that that style of speaking doesn't work for the real world and I had to adapt it very quickly. And because of that, I've kind of adapted a pseudo FFA, pseudo professional speech that is very strange in its style and that it's both extremely analytical, but I try to bring enough personality into it that it's relatable. And that's not an easy thing to do with you know, me being an analytical person, it, it took some time to, to develop that personality that is, I wouldn't consider my speech personality different than my regular personality, but it's definitely a lot more present in my speeches. And so I think that my style is, it's got a little bit of, of pieces from all the different speeches I've seen. I see a, a part of the speech, I'm like, oh, I like that. I'm going to try that in my speech one day. Or I see a speaker, you know, do something, a hand gesture at a certain part of the speech. I'm going, oh, I'm going to try that one day. So there's certain aspects of it that kind of influence my speech, but I wouldn't say that my speech is, my speech style is very reminiscent of many other speakers, to say the least. Now, you mentioned something very important using your hands. Now, being a, a public speaker, it's not just what you say, but how you say it and not necessarily the voice or the words you say, how you deliver it as in your body, your face, your hands. So for me, sometimes I, I use my hands a lot when I speak <laughs> an extreme amount of times. I use a lot of facial expressions. I can go back because I used to be a tour guide, so I can go into that later on. But on that note, <laughs> do you use your hands? Like I'm using my hands right now as I, as I'm speaking, <laughs> Do you, ha- do you use your hands a lot more nowadays, even when you're not trying to public speak, you're just speaking to, say, a family member? So 
I'll say this. <laughs> my lineage is Portuguese, Italian, German, Scottish, Oki. I mean, you can stop me whenever. <laughs> I, ha- I come from a long line of hand-using lineages, to say in the least. So I, speaking with my hands has always felt natural. Speaking with my body is a natural response, just something in me just said, Hey, you need to speak with your hands more. And I didn't used to be that way. It was, like I said, before I started speaking, uh, very well, I I was very closed off. My hands were kind of at my sides. I didn't move much. I kind of just stood still and just spoke. And as I became more comfortable without even noticing it, I noticed I was using, I'm using my hands right now, but without even (laughs) noticing it though, like my, my body starts to represent its own style of speaking. (laughs) And it wasn't until last year when I read a book, a fantastic book, which is uh, it's the Definitive Guide to Body Language. And I can't remember what the author's name is right now. I can't see. It's on my bookshelf right now, and I can't read it because I'm blind. But it's an amazing book because it, it talks about not only body language in the casual sense, but in the speaking sense, on the biological evolutionary sense. I mean, there's so many depth, there's so many deep levels to body language that it's such an incredible craft in and of itself that even if you're not a great speaker, body language can mean the difference between a speech selling and not selling. And the greatest example of that is the JFK versus Nixon speech or a debate way back in the 60s. I can't remember. I think it was 68 maybe. I could be wrong. 64, one of those years. Basically, JFK and Nixon were debating. And this is a very famous debate because over the radio, everyone who listened to the, to the debate was 100% sure that Nixon won the debate. Anyone who watched on TV, because TV was very new in these days, so a lot of people got to watch on the TV for the first time. This is the first ever televised uh, debate. Anyone who watched on TV said the JFK won. And it was a big deal because everyone was like, well, which one won? If, if everyone's saying Nixon won off the radio, but JFK won off the TV, then how do we d- decide a winner? And basically what came down to it was that JFK was way more charismatic in his body language. He seemed a lot more confident. He he pushed his shoulders back. He used his hands a lot more openingly and 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 inviting. And he had very open body language, which is very uh, expressive of, of I'm welcoming. I'm here to be your friend. I'm here to help you. And Nixon, on the other hand, knew his stuff. I mean, he, he answered the questions extremely well. He was very articulate, very in- intelligent guy. But when he spoke, he was very closed off. His shoulders were kind of close. His hands weren't very open and welcoming. He was kind of a disheveled old man looking to say, you know, to say in few words, but that difference is just the, the main demonstration of how important body language is in communicating your message. And so I have taken a lot of effort to change my own body language to match what I want my, my message to be interpreted as, because even if you don't fully understand body language, you subconsciously interpret it anyways. And so even if you don't like now that I understand body language, I can read people a lot easier than I used to be able to because I used to, well, I still am terrible at reading people, but I've gotten better. <laughs> but being able to look at somebody's body language, especially if they're giving a speech, you could tell like exactly what's going through their mind. And it's kind of incredible. And you can tell if they're lying to you or if they're being genuine. You can tell if if they really are confident in what they say or if they're kind of just saying it just to say it. Or there's there's a lot of different aspects of body language that are vitally important to speech. And actually in that same book and in a couple other books on body language I've read, it says that body language is as much of a language as spoken language. And if if you're speaking a certain if you're speaking a certain way and your body language doesn't match exactly how you're speaking, your listener's not gonna trust what you said. And they won't know why they won't trust you. They just won't trust you. They get a bad feeling from you. So it's important to understand that why body language and spoken language need to correlate together and tell the same message if you want to be compelling. So to answer your question, yes, I use my hands a lot when I speak. Yeah, it would be kind of odd if you did like the, the what was it, the Macarena dance while talking about recycling. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> there would be, be some conflict there. <laughs> and for you, I'm sure you don't talk about recycling and Macarena in, in the same thing. But for you, what is the <laughs> topics you prefer to talk about when you do public speaking? In case I hadn't mentioned it yet, I like <laughs> agriculture. <laughs> but um, no, I, I was trained to speak about agriculture and world issues mostly. So that's where I'm most comfortable. But I've given speeches on a lot of different topics, on politics, on civility. I actually gave a scholarship speech one time on civility and integrity and how society is lost upon those things. I've given speeches. So I am a very strange person. I like to write speeches for fun. Uh, most people are very stressed out when they write speeches. I use it as a relaxation tool. Uh, so, and there are speeches that stress me out when I write them too, but most of the time I'll write them. If I have an idea, like that'd be kind of a cool speech, I'll write it and I'll practice it and I'll just kind of give it to myself just to see how it sounds. And I, I like giving speeches on goofy topics. 
Mike, did you know that uh, male platypus actually have toxins and spurs in the back of their toes? I did. I, for some strange reason, I did know that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> See, most most people are caught off guard by that. But yeah, so like I, I had I've been doing a bunch of research on, on, on male platypus the, as a species for a, a biology paper I was writing just for fun because my, my biology teacher and I are nerds. And I was like, that'd be kind of a fun speech to give just to surprise people with my weird animal biology facts. And so I started doing research and I wrote a speech on it. And so like I like giving goofy speeches because they're fun. But I like giving speeches that I'm passionate about because they are a lot more meaningful and they sound a lot better. So I think that agricultural speeches are where I'm most comfortable. But I've given speeches on an assortment of topics that I'm, I'm very comfortable with and I'm very passionate about. I could be wrong, but I feel like platypus are also one of the only mammals that lay eggs as well. They're they're one of the only five species of mammals that lay eggs, and the other four are just different species of an animal called an echidna. Uh, you know what? I'm in the same boat as you. Those little interesting <laughs> facts like, oh, this is not extremely necessary, but it's kind of cool, and maybe I will use it down the line. And you say <laughs> you write to relax, but uh, I have to ask this question because I have a f different style, but it works for me. <laughs> do you prefer to do more freestyle or structured script that you wrote beforehand and you stick to the script? Mm. Now, this is a very, very important question, I feel like. And this is something that and I, I know that listening to your other episodes I like to ask about misconceptions. And I'll, I'll explain this more later in that section. But this is what I would consider one of the biggest misconceptions about speaking is that you have to have a script written out word for word and you have to memorize it. That is one of the worst mistakes you can make in speaking. It works for some people. I'll, I'll admit there are some people who work really well off of a written script if, if that makes them more comfortable. But in my experience and off of learning from great speakers and off of my own uh, stories of speaking, Speaking extemporaneously is the most effective way to tell a good message. And I don't mean you should just improvise everything you say. Don't just, don't just go on stage and just start talking and just see where you end up. Have at least somewhat of a plan of what you want to say, but maybe have like a couple note cards with certain points you want to hit just to give you a little bit of structure, but don't have written out paragraphs or else you're going to get lost on your words. And so at least for my personal style, I really prefer to have a very, very general outline. And I like some freedom within my outline, but as long as I don't get too far off on tangents, the outline is just there to give me direction and I take the reins from there. No, I completely agree. It's kind of like having a point form system. Just get the general topic idea and then work around it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for those people who do write a full paragraph, that works perfect. But if you, for a lot of other people, if you try to do that, then the delivery will be sent differently. It will be more of a... Mm -hmm. I am reading off a script. Wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> and the next word is this. So it's, exactly. it's a balance in between both. So I completely agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Now for you, what would you say is the best part about public speaking on a personal and an emotional level? Oh, the best part. I love so many parts. but <laughs> They're all the best. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to be the weirdest thing. And we, we can talk about this more in, in my episode where, that you're going to be on, but it's, it's always weird to me that, or it's not weird to me. It's always funny to me that people give me weird looks when I say I like speaking because it's the number one most feared thing in the world. It, you know, 73 to 77% of people are terrified of public speaking. And there's a, there's a common, um, a phraseology that we use in the, in the communications department that's more people would rather be in the grave than giving the eulogy. And that's because, you know, death is the number four most feared thing in the world. And public speaking is that much more fear that it's, it's just, it's, it's astronomical. So the fact that people find out that I like speaking at all is, is incredibly entertaining to me. But, um, to say that my favorite part is kind of difficult. Uh, I'd say my, my favorite part is probably, if it's not my favorite, it's one of my most favorite parts is just the ability to tell my story to people and have them listen. And you can talk to people all day and have casual conversations with people. And maybe they catch a little bit of what, the, of what you say, but when you're giving a speech, when you're giving something that you structured for people to listen to and pay attention to, if you do a good job, you can tell when people are receiving your message and seeing their eyes light up in the audience is the most satisfying feeling that I've ever felt being up there and you say a word and you see three heads pick up off their desk where they're falling asleep. That is an unbelievably satisfying feeling that I have never been able to express in words before. It's such a weird, it's like, you know, like the oddly satisfying videos you see where like, you know, they have like the, the weird sounds that they do and they like, they cut certain things with like a hot knife and you've seen those videos. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> well, it's it's like that feeling, like seeing people light up. It just gives you like this weird, like tingly, like, oh, people are listening. Now I'm going to keep going. And it gives you energy to finish off the speech. So that's that's one of my favorite parts is, is seeing people interested in what I have to say. Another favorite part of mine, I have to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to drag this out into all my favorite parts of public speaking, but this is I think these two are tied for my, my most favorite is the the amount of confidence that it gives me. The ability to go up on stage and and speak in front of people is an incredibly daunting task to, to be able to do that, to be able to do anything in front of people is incredibly terrifying. I completely understand why people are so afraid of public speaking. And if I'm not, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm terrified every time I go up on stage. But once you get past those first word, you know, word or two, all that fear goes away and it's just you and the audience and you're just speaking. You're talking about what you're passionate about. And if you really understand your speech topic and you care about what you're saying, you can just go. And and having that level of freedom and just, you know, kind of just like letting it all out and just letting, you know, putting it all, all in the open is such a, a relieving feeling that it's it's really nice to to have that because normally you're bottled up with your, you know, emotions or your thoughts or your ideas and nobody ever gets to hear them because you're scared of telling people them. But when you're on stage and you're just giving people what you think or you've structured the speech in a way that they're going to want to listen to it and they're engaging with you and, and they're listening to what you have to say and you're just getting into the speech, it feels so good and it makes you feel so much better about yourself because not only do you get things off your chest, but people actually cared about what you said and it makes you feel good inside about that. So those, those are my two, my two big, my two big favorite parts. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I am in the exact same situation as you. I get <laughs> nervous and I love doing public speaking, but I definitely get nervous when I'm about to do a presentation. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Don't forget. Don't mess up. But it's, it's weird. It's kind of like riding a bike that you just pick it up and you're like, whoa. All right. Like, this is a weird little story, but I'm adding it in because it's a perfect time. Uh, back in university, I had a project in my fourth year class and my, my professor was one of those professors. I don't know why, but he would always go around and like hit the desk around. It was like one weird oval desk where everybody was sitting around it and he would just go and smack it and it would just be his thing. And during my presentation, I didn't think much of it. And then I just started doing that. And then at another point, I took a piece of chalk and started drawing circles. Like, you know, I say like <laughs> conspiracy theory, like this is it. And then like just being very expressive and go, walking around, smacking mm -hmm. the desk. And the first thing right after that presentation was done, the person raised their hands like, this is not a question. I just want to say, you're really good at making presentations. I'm like, <laughs> cool, cool. What did I say? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but no, I completely agree. It's kind of like, it's nervous, but it's a good feeling. And yeah, it's, it depends. Sometimes talking in front of two people isn't as nervous talking in front of a thousand people, but it can be the same mm. feeling. A, a weird way, you know how to tell people to just picture people in their underwear, right? To uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for me, in my mind, it's I have a little different, and it's kind of dirtier. But I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Even everybody in the audience, the most beautiful people, the richest people, or anything like that, take the ugliest shits. Like they, it's true. <laughs> so I'm like, you know what? <laughs> like some days they're not gonna have like a pretty poop. Nobody always has a pretty poop. It's like some days you're like, Ugh. No. so I'm like, yep, you're human. Cool. I'll talk to you like that. Not, I'm not <laughs> picturing you taking a shit. I'm just saying you're human. Either way, right. back to the topic, which is less <laughs> of less manure per se. If you had the chance to do a public speaking event on like any scale, let's say TED Talk or anything else, which one would it be? See, I've thought about this a lot too. And since I first became a speaker, TED Talk was kind of the dream. Like that'd be kind of cool to do a TED Talk, you know, to, to be able to speak in front of people about something that I think they'd be interested in. And I still would like to do a TED Talk. I think that's that'd be a really cool thing to do. But over time, I've kind of just gotten to a point where I really just love speaking in front of classes. And I want to be a teacher. So lecturing is kind of something that I've always really enjoyed. I, I, I want to lecture to a point where people actually enjoy what I'm saying, that they're engaging with the content, that I'm asking them questions and they could bring in their own their own feedback. I know it's kind of a strange answer, but speaking in front of students is, is one of my favorite things to do because they're the next generation. They're, you know, they're the future. If, if they find what I say impactful, then I've done my job as, as a communicator. And so as much as speaking in front of a large crowd is, is fun and it's entertaining and it's exciting, I think that speaking in front of a, a small classroom is, is just as important, if not more so. So I'd rather I'd rather speak in front of a crowd of a smaller crowd where everyone's engaged than a large crowd where 20 percent's engaged. So I, I think that it's, it's hard for me to say I would definitely take a TED talk if somebody said, hey, you want to do a TED talk? I'm like, <laughs> sign me up. But I'd be just as content with speaking in front of a large lecture hall. And to be fair, Brendan and I met on this app called Voice Hub, which is kind of like a virtual 
TED Talk for anybody who wants to do it. And he just joined in my conversation and we just started talking about how to create a podcast step by step. And it lasted two hours. Unfortunately, it was not saved. I thought it was safe, but it wasn't. So we'll have to do it again and we'll have to do 10 minute increments. <laughs> Save those. Absolutely. No, I actually <laughs> went and talked to Tom. He said that he, you contacted him. He fixed that issue now. But yeah, it's a shame we lost that. Don't worry. We'll, it'll just allow us to do it again. There you go. Just connect on Absolutely. that way. Uh, so for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started public speaking? Oh, my biggest challenge was really the step outside my comfort zone to, to get myself to be more animated. The research was there. I could write speeches all day because I was really good at writing essays. And what people don't tend to realize is writing a speech and writing an essay are identical. Uh, if you can write a good essay, you can write a good speech like it's nothing because they have the exact same structure. You have your intro, your points, your thesis, and you go into your three bodies and you go into your conclusion. Every speech is pretty much structured very similarly, if not exactly the same. You just may not see that structure quite as cleanly because it changes with style. But I was really good at writing the speech and that that part I, I always was was really good at. But the presentation was really, really hard for me to get down. It took me hours and hours and hours of practice in front of the mirror of having my parents watch me recording myself and trying it and watching it and then having my coaches tell me what I could do. I would watch other speakers and see how they were adapting their style, how they were bringing in passion, how they're bringing in animation. And I, I would try that stuff and it just did not feel natural to me. And I think a lot of that was with the confidence barriers. I was still really insecure. I was really scared. I was really uh, not confident, same least. And I think once I got past that barrier of once you start talking and people start paying attention, you feel a lot better about yourself. Once I figured that out, I was like, okay, then I'm, I'm, I can do this. But that initial just trying to get over the fact of everyone's going to be watching me and I'm not a very expressive person as it is. It was a very, very tough hurdle to jump over. But I, I did it eventually. On that note, did you, are you superstitious in the sense that you like to prepare certain things before you do your speech? Like tap my shoes twice, touch the ceiling, uh, eat a banana, I, anything like that? Um, I, I wouldn't call it a superstition, but I don't eat before speeches. I think it's more or less just a, I don't want to be burping in the middle of my speech. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, it's always been a thing of mine right, right before I go into a speech. I'm not sure if it's just because I'm nervous or just because whatever the situation, but if I'm eating, and I know I'm going to speak in the next 10, 15 minutes. I just stop eating until it's time for me to speak. And I don't eat again until I get back to my table. And, uh, that's always just been kind of my, my thing. I also, and this is more just to, for, for a nervousness thing, but, uh, before every speech, I take a very long pause take a deep breath, count to three, scan the room, and then I take my step forward as I deliver my first word. And that step forward with the first word after the long pause gives me my 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 jump into the speech. So that's always been kind of, I don't know if you want to call it a superstition or just like a routine that I do to prepare my mind or whatever. I, I wouldn't say that if I don't do it, my speech is going to go badly, but it just always kind of, it puts me in the right mindset to give that speech properly. And being in the right mindset is very important. Absolutely. And it's, a, this is another odd story. I usually love public speaking. And the one time where I'm like, Ooh, that was horrible. It was very cringy was at my sister's wedding. And because I wasn't uh, expected to go do a speech. So I decided, so I'll, I'm a, of the drinking age. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. So I drank a lot. <laughs> I was very, very under the influence of beverages. And then people were like, Alex, do a speech. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Alex, do a speech. No, no. And then peer pressure got to me. And then I of go course. up on stage and I vaguely remember some of it. So it went along like this. Mm. My, so I was like, uh. My brother-in-law, when I first met you, I said, hmm. When you saw me, you said, hmm. <laughs> I don't remember the rest. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness. In my mind, I'm like, I have, I, like, if I wasn't intoxicated, I would have crushed it. But the fact that it was sad and I was not expecting it, I'm like, oh, this is going to go horrible. And luckily it was not recorded. But you know what? Actually, I wish it was so I can just laugh at myself now. <laughs> that would be great. Put, put that in the, in the audio clip of, of this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but once again, drink responsibly, people. This is the message from this because you never know when you have to do a public speech. Exactly. For you, what is your current biggest challenge? My current biggest challenge? Um, you know, I, I, I've been working on a project lately. Um, 
this I, I can associate this with public speaking. I've been I've been working on kind of a large scale project that I've been really excited about, but I just haven't been able to get it off the ground. And really, it's it's for public speakers. So I'm doing the podcast where I'm trying to promote the idea of learning how to speak and and teaching others how to speak and developing confidence and leadership skills, all that sort of stuff. But on top of that, I had the whole plan to do a web series where I demonstrated different body language tactics, where I demonstrated how to read body language and how body language is impactful in speech. I, I was going to do a whole uh, series of uh, where I give speeches and I could do just do an episode where I give a speech. And then in the podcast the following week, I just analyze that speech before I start into the episode and kind of break down, you know, what I could have been better, what, you know, what was good, what was bad, what to learn from it, what, what I intentionally did to teach a lesson and what I did not mean to do and that sort of thing. And I also had a, a virtual reality component to it. I had a whole, a whole plan where I was teaching a virtual reality class on public speech because I had this hypothesis that a lot of the fear associated with public speaking has to do with seeing your audience's eyes and seeing their face and seeing the physical features that give you the intimidation factor. And if you can eliminate all of that, it'll give you a lot more of a confident edge when you go into your speech. And so I wanted to create a virtual reality platform where I could try that out. And it had some very positive results for the first few weeks I did it. People were a lot more confident speaking. They were confident speaking about things that I was not ready for them to talk about. They were talking about like super personal things, which was fine. It was really good. But it was really interesting to see just how much of the confidence barrier was broken down just by being in a virtual platform versus real audience, like a real a real person audience. And so like I had all these plans for this great project, the Gambit Speech Project, as I called it. And it's been kind of falling apart and that's all my fault. You know, it's been hard to get It's It's been hard to find the time to record all the episodes and to get it all, you know, conglomerated together. And, and the VR classroom is really hard to run because people don't like being recorded. So it's hard to get footage of that that I can actually use. And half the time you have 10 year olds jumping in there and yelling the F word every other word anyways. So it's kind of hard to to get all of those pieces to work together. So right now I'm just doing the speech podcast and I'm going to eventually branch out from there to build the entire Gambit speech project. And that's, I guess, I, I guess you consider that a current struggle. If you're talking about just public speaking in the sense of giving speeches, my current struggle is just that I haven't been able to actually give speeches in a while. And it's kind of driving me crazy. <laughs> Well, here's a platform for you right now. So you get to share your voice. <laughs> Hopefully, I know this is not a complete substitute, but it's somewhat of a little taste. It's a sample of public speaking, right? You know, you're talking about VoiceHub earlier. VoiceHub has been my saving grace for all of this because <laughs> I have been pent up in my room since quarantine started. And I have been driving myself slowly insane because I was I've not been able to talk to people. I haven't been able to go on my random monologues. I haven't been able to give speeches. I haven't been able to interact with people and network. I love talking to people, which is like I would never thought if you would have told me when I was 15 years old that I like talking to people, I would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> and like so like now that I, I like talking to people, I have no one to talk to. So Voice Hub and, you know, the podcasting community and my episodes and being on this episode has really helped me out kind of, you know, getting over that that insanity and being able to actually talk again. So thank you for that. You know what? I hate talking to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm exactly in the same boat as you. I love interacting with people. I love meeting new people. I love getting to know them, just know their story and know who they are as a person and connect with them. I, I might not relate to everything they're saying, but you know what? It's the learning process, expanding my mind and then uh, make new friends. I always love making new friends. And in this case, making new family. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you've talked about this a little bit before, but I'm going to ask it again and see if you, there's anything else you want to add to it. Has public speaking ever stressed you out? And if so, what do you do to de-stress? So what's, what's kind of funny about this is, uh, like I said earlier, I have had speeches stress me out. Uh, when I was giving that scholarship speech on civility and integrity, I did research on like how do you do research on civility and integrity? Like I, I did research on all kinds of of different instances of having uncivil uh, situations in society and all sorts of things. So that that speech kind of stressed me out because I had I had a deadline to write it by, which was I was used to a deadline. Like when I was trained, we had to write speeches in 30 minutes that had to be four to six minutes long. We had to give them right there and answer questions for five minutes. So like I was trained to write speeches under pressure. That was no problem. But this was a substantially longer speech. It was 10 minutes long and I had to know it. I couldn't just ad lib it like I usually do. I couldn't go off of my usual, uh, which I guess in hindsight, they didn't have the manuscript with them. So they didn't know what I was saying. So I could have just kind of, you know, messed with it and, and just gone off on my own. 
a couple times, but my the the teacher I had to go through to do this, he wasn't an ag teacher. He was just a government teacher. He was a speech. He wasn't even a speech teacher. He was just a government teacher that was trying to start a speech club, and he wanted to see my speech. So I had to actually write it out, which was really stressful because that's not my style. So I've written speeches in the past that have stressed me out, yes. And like I said earlier, giving speeches stresses me out because it's like – there's a whole biological factor to, to public speaking that I will explain in depth on the episode that we do with you. But basically, when you're on stage, you're seen as a prey animal. You know, your, your, your body goes into fight or flight mode. That's why you start shaking and getting nervous and you, you, know, you start sweating and you want to leave. And, you know, there's, there's certain factors that tie into that. That happens to me every single time I step on stage. And to say that, you know, anxiety or that uh, stress is, is not associated with public speaking because it's my hobby and because it's something I enjoy is not accurate. I mean, anyone who is passionate about something is going to stress over it because they want it to be perfect and they want they want to do well with it. And so I think that even though it is something I really enjoy doing, and like I said earlier, I do write speeches to de-stress, it's something that can cause me stress too. And Sometimes I have been in the middle of writing speeches that have tired me out and I've gotten stressed about. So I take a break by writing a, a fun speech, which is really weird, but I like doing it. And or or maybe I'll just go practice different parts of that speech or I'll go listen to other speakers or I just need to get away from speeches all altogether and go play guitar or go watch videos or go play video games or read or, you know, something to get my mind off of it. But really, when it comes to the speaking aspect itself, if I'm really stressed out about a speech, I will give it a few hundred times until I'm tired of it. And then once I go on stage, I have, like I said, I have my traditions. I take my deep breath. I take my step forward. I have my little routines. And as soon as I give that first couple words, all the stress just leaves my body and I can give my speech. And like you said, it's almost like I black out and I'm just like, <laughs> what did I just say? Yep. Yep. That is, that is exactly me. It's just a, a blank. I'm like, all right, I'm nervous. <laughs> Autopilot activated. What? Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no. So I, I like I said, I, I do get stressed, but my stress reliever is the same thing as my stress producer. So I guess that's kind of counterproductive. But it's like a double negative that makes a positive, or a double a positive <laughs> and negative, something along those lines. Yeah, there, there's some math term yeah, there that would yeah. probably explain that. There's some letters in there as well, you know, because math is all letters <laughs> nowadays. No, I'm kidding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, once going on to a very important topic, uh, I know I mentioned this in every single episode, and you know this topic, you know this question. You're like, yes, I'm waiting for this. And you already talked about it a little bit at the beginning, but what are some misconceptions about people who do public speaking? Mm -hmm. I love questions about misconceptions. They're so much fun. <laughs> like Mythbusters is one of my one of my favorite shows in the entire world because it breaks misconceptions about things. I actually did a this is a bit of a tangent. Sorry about this, but I actually did a a very short series, like a five episode series, um, on my ag podcast called Ag Mythbusters or. It was ag myths, but it was it was basically the, the agriculture equivalent of Mythbusters. And we did a whole segment on breaking mis uh, misconceptions about agriculture, which was really fun. So I, needless to say, I like misconception-based questions. So when it comes to speaking, and like I said, I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning, but there's, there's a lot of misconceptions about public speaking. But I'll, I'll just go over a couple of them because, like I said, I don't want to take up all your time. But at, at the same time, a lot of them aren't worth going over just because they're very situational. But the biggest misconception I love – to bust is that anyone who's a confident speaker, who is very good at giving speeches, who is, you know, has, is a very practiced speaker and has been giving speeches for a long time, if they tell you they don't get nervous giving speeches, they're a liar. And what I mean by that is everyone gets nervous giving speeches. It's not physically or biologically possible to not have some level of fear associated with giving the speech. And maybe it's not fear in the sense that you're so discouraged from doing it because you're scared, but there are certain elements. And like I said, that giving speeches is biological. And there are certain aspects of it that, that incorporate non-biological features, I guess. I don't know how to, how to phrase what I was going with there. But basically, the biological aspects of speaking are when you're giving that speech, when you're on stage in front of, let's just say, 100 people, which is a substantial audience. That's about the largest audience I've spoken in front of. When you're speaking in front of, let's say, 100 people, that's 200 eyes on you. Assuming everyone has two eyes, which that's I think it's a safe <laughs> assumption. But um, if they're if they have, if you have two hundred eyes on you, your brain automatically goes, "Dude, you're gonna die. You need to run." And that's not 
a bad thing. And people tend to associate that with a bad thing. They say, you know, when I get speaking, when I get up there and start speaking, I get super nervous and I get tense and I start shaking, I start stuttering. That's a natural response. That's your body trying to tell you to run and you just won't do it. And basically you're going into fight or flight mode. And so when you get to that point of do I run? What do I do in this situation? My body is trying to shut down. There are methods you can use to alleviate some of that stress and, 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 and nervousness. But the number one thing I want anyone to take away from this is that you cannot get rid of nervous energy. It's always there. What you can do is you can redirect it. And that's the trick. If you can redirect nervous energy, you can actually turn it into passion. When you're giving your speech, if you're if you've got a lot of you know jitteriness to you and you're kind of you know nervous about certain parts of the speech, or maybe just speaking in general, and you have a part of your speech that you really want to emphasize, try to distract your body for long enough until you get to that part and let all the energy just flow up into your mouth and then boom, passion. Just let that part just rip out of you. And there's there's so much utility in that skill alone. And it took me a really long time to learn how to do that. And it's not an easy thing to figure out in your first couple of years of speaking. But if you can figure out how to do that, because I mean, like everyone has has nervous tics. Like whenever I'm up there speaking, my legs shake like crazy. People can't see it because I'm usually wearing black pants, but my legs are shaking. Sometimes my hands are even shaking. My palms are getting sweaty. And when I start speaking, a lot of that kind of goes away from my brain, so I'm not thinking about it as much, but it's still in my body. So my legs are still shaking as I'm walking around the stage, or my hands are still shaking as I'm holding the microphone. What I do, though, is I distract my body long enough by walking, by using hand gestures, by using certain aspects of your body language, you actually mitigate some of that energy, you get it out of your system. And like I said, it's all biological. So that energy is going to go somewhere. It's like you have electricity in your body because your brain's saying, you need this energy to run, use it. And you just take the energy and say, okay, I'm going to use it, but not to run. I'm going to use it to speak. And you let it flow through your body as you as you give your presentation. And then once you get to the part that you really need to have that passion in, you just let all the energy go into that part of the speech. You stop moving. You stop using hand gestures. You just let everything go into that portion. And then after that, all of the energy just goes away and you can calm down for the rest of the speech because you're past the big part. It's almost like a buildup. You get to the top of the hill and you can just flow smoothly down the rest of it as long as your speech isn't like 10 minutes longer or longer because then it starts to get kind of hard to do that. And you can do it at certain parts too. Speakers have to take breaks throughout their speech. It's a natural thing. And you can – that's another misconception is that people think that not only do they have to memorize all their words, but they have to get it all right in one go. And if they mess up, then they might as well just stop speaking. That is the worst thing you can do because nobody else knows your speech. When, when you're speaking, they can't see what you, wrote, what you wrote on that paper. They can't see what's in your head. If you mess up, they don't know you messed up unless you tell them. So if you stutter, if you, you know, stumble, if you forget what you're going to say next, don't apologize. You find a way to reroute yourself. Take a deep breath to show that you're trying to catch your thoughts and, and kind of reevaluate what you're going to say and then go into it. That's perfectly acceptable. The problem is when you start stuttering and panicking and then you start freaking out and you cr- crumble apart and cry on stage. I've had a few friends that have had that happen to me. It's not fun to watch. But when you're giving that speech and you start to stumble, all you got to do is take a deep breath, take a step back, analyze your audience, and then jump back into it once you have your thoughts together. There's nothing wrong with taking that break as long as it's not a super long break from what you're saying. So that's those are my two big misconceptions that I'm going to go over. I'm not going to go super in depth because, like I said, I could, I could go for hours on this. But And also, this is a little trick. Um, people can use it if you're taking a little break. Have a glass of water on stage. It looks smoother yes. and also clears up your throat and just kind of like, okay, it's part of the transition. He's like, he's, he's lubing up his throat or her throat to just say something better. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> a funny antidote on uh, just going smoothly and reading a script. So my friend, let's call him Mike. Well, actually he's my best friend. And he did a presentation where he had to do a speech at the Japanese embassy and he did it in Japanese and he had it all written down. So an introduction, a middle and a conclusion. And this was to win a prize to go to Japan or something like that. And then he, he went up on stage. He did the presentation. Everybody gave odd claps with a confused face. And his Japanese <laughs> teacher was there and said, you did great, Mike, but you had an introduction. And then you had a conclusion. There was no middle. So it was, <laughs> and it was just such a smooth transition that it was kind of like, oh, it's so much like, hi, my name is Mike. I am from Ottawa. And this is why I did this speech. Thank you very much. What? <laughs> so there's parts missing and he was thinking he's like that was short and then when his teacher told him like yeah this is what happened he's like oh my goodness 
But yeah, <laughs> during public speaking, people can mess up and it's completely normal and getting embarrassed happens. Like I've fell on stage before in front of my whole high school. I got embarrassed, but it may, you know, it built character in a sense. <laughs> And now I know not to fall on stage. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got to have and, – and when things like that happen, obviously it's humiliating when it happens. But the fact that you can laugh on it later shows that little mess-ups are not going to kill you. They're not going to – nobody's going to laugh at you. Nobody's going to make fun of you. I mean some people might, but they're not worth talking about anyways. But nobody is going to directly ridicule you if you mess up a couple times in your speech. If your speech is good enough, nobody's going to care. I mean they're going to be so hooked on your message, they're not even going to notice the parts where you mess up because you're just on a roll. And that's really the, the, the place you want to get to. Once you're in a really good flow with your what you're talking about, you should just be able to almost go on auto, autopilot. Like just kind of go with it and like just let whatever you're talking about flow out of you. And if you have to think about what you're saying next, that probably means that you're not familiar enough with your topic that you're you're bound to mess up anyways. And if you mess up on topic that you're not comfortable with, that probably means it's not coming out exactly how you want it to in the first place. So be comfortable with what you're saying. It sounds like you're describing my podcast like I have no idea what most of these hobbies are, but I'm here to ask questions. <laughs> it's a learning process for me. So why do I sound so stupid? It's like everybody's like, Alex, you don't sound stupid. And in the back of my head, I said to myself, I sound a little bit stupid, just a little bit, but I enjoy it. It's a learning process. And for my listeners out there, I hope you understand that I am not an expert in this. And <laughs> it's my guests who are bringing the passion, bringing the flow, bringing the joy of their hobby. And I'm just a bystander, like a five-year-old. What's this? What's that? How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, so I, this, I, it's, I, I completely understand. and But I do enjoy it. So at the end of it, I'd like to think, you know what? I'm a little bit more knowledgeable about this topic, hopefully for public speaking. I'm knowledgeable as well because I kind of do it a lot, but yes. <laughs> but now back to you because it's all about you today. This is also another hard question, but what has public speaking taught you in life? It's it's a really hard question. You know, public speaking has taught me a lot of things. And like I kind of touched on in the beginning of this episode, public speaking was potentially single-handedly or at least one of the few things that really pushed me to who I am today. If it wasn't for initially learning how to speak, I wouldn't be doing my podcast. I certainly wouldn't be on this podcast. I wouldn't be nearly as social as I am. I wouldn't have nearly as many friends. I wouldn't be engaging in a lot of things. I wouldn't even be a teacher. I'd probably be a mechanical engineer. I'd be sitting in my room all day, bored out of my mind, or playing video games. I, would, I wouldn't be doing half of the amazing things that I've done. I wouldn't have half the amazing connections that I have. I think that public speaking as a craft has taught me a lot about responsibility in the sense that you're responsible for your words. Everything you say can and will be used against you, and that's not a Miranda's, uh, Miranda's rights uh, paraphrase, but it's it's something that is ever more apparent to me, that everything I say in a speech is my responsibility. I said it, I need to own up to it. So anything you say, you have to be careful with, with what, how, and why you say it. So choosing your words very carefully is one of the most important lessons I've learned while speaking. Another lesson I've learned is pacing. Knowing that you can't fit everything you want to fit into a speech is a vitally important lesson because not everyone wants to listen for an hour and a half. Sometimes saying a few words can have a lot more impact than saying an hour and a half long speech about almost nothing. So those are a couple of pretty big things that, that have really resonated with me is that don't ramble just to fill up time. Say what you need to say and get out and make sure that what you say is what you mean. And I think that's, those are probably the two most important lessons I've learned. It just reminds me of an experience when I was a kid. My father used to say, go to bed. He didn't really give a speech on like why it's important to go to bed. So he got <laughs> straight to the point. <laughs> so that's the, it worked out. And I went to bed because he had the voice of God to like, go to bed. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know if you've ever heard or seen this uh, YouTube channel called Charisma on Command. I love Charisma on Command. Yes, thank you. Same here. I, I've shared it with a lot of people. It's a wonderful channel and it touches so many different topics. So for people who are interested in, let's say, just charisma or public speaking, it has a lot of cool things, a lot of visuals, and it compares celebrities and their styles. But also, don't just listen to that and watch that. You should also go check out Brendan's stuff as well. But we're not at that point <laughs> of the podcast yet. We still have a few more questions to tackle. And one of them is, do you have any word of advice for anyone who might be interested in this hobby? You've gave, you gave a lot of advice, but if you had to give one big <laughs> piece of advice, what would it be? One big piece of advice. Um, you know, like I said, with, with what my ag teachers told me, don't be afraid to try it. If you have, if you have passion about a topic, if it's something that you truly care about a lot, 
the worst thing you can do is to hide that passion because passion is an incredibly useful thing. And the reason I love public speaking so much as a craft and the reason I encourage people to go into it and at least try it a little bit, at least try to, to get their mind around the idea of speaking in front of people is because as a society, we've kind of grown to a point where we're less dependent on vocal conversations. We don't really communicate as much in person or over phone as, like or over podcasts as we're doing now. Podcasts are, are rapidly becoming a new media in that sense, but a lot of the spoken word is lost upon people nowadays. It's all text and Facebook posts and comments, and that's about it. Or they learn from YouTube videos and they don't talk to people about what they learn. Or, you know, that vocal interaction is, is kind of a, a lost art. And speaking used to be such an incredibly useful tool, and it still is, but it's it's not nearly as practiced as it used to be. Speakers used to be all over the place. You couldn't, you know, if you, if you go through history, all we learned about is the fantastic speakers. And there are very few speakers today that I would, I would say would go down in history as great speakers because speaking is not a skill that is commonly thought of as a skill. It's commonly thought of as something that you're forced to do in a, in a classroom or something that you're forced to do for a club that you do, or seeing it as an obligation instead of as a skill is something that is, I consider a, a very big mistake. So if you're considering going into public speaking, first thing is find your passion. Talk about, before you even start talking about important issues, talk about things that you care about. Talk about things that you're comfortable with, that you enjoy a lot about. Write speeches just for fun and then try them out. If you're good at writing essays, write an essay and then just speak it. And I, I mean that quite literally. I, I've actually done that before. I've taken old essays that I've written as a kid and I turn them into speeches. And it's actually really cool to see how how the conversion works. But really it's just a matter of of finding what your passion is and turning that into your vocal uh, expression because being able to express something that you care about is such an um, unbelievably amazing feeling and it has such a a positive impact on your personal on your self-conscious on your personal uh on your views of yourself on your just general confidence and your and your social interaction people like good speakers uh there's actually a quote um that i i kind of base my entire philosophy of public speaking on that I actually found very recently. So I, I couldn't say I based my original philosophy of it on, but basically it's the idea that, and, and it's, it's less of a quote and more of a, a long series of phrases that I've turned into a simple idea. But, uh, there's, there's an incredibly great man that I listen to all the time. He's actually from Canada as well. His name's Jordan Peterson. You've probably heard of him. Um, he says in multiple of his lectures that if you can think write and speak, you are unstoppable. Having the ability to articulate thoughts, to write them out, and to give coherent and articulate speeches that actually resonate with people, those are the three most dangerous things you can have at your disposal. Because if if you can do those things, nobody can touch you because nobody else can do all three of those things. So speaking is, is such a useful and, and valuable tool because not only does it give you a new arsenal of, of ways to defend yourself intellectually, but as a society, we've grown to admire those who are charismatic, who are leaders, who are, you know, they take charge. And we've always, we've always ad, ad, admired those people, but now more than ever, because we're seeing so little of that in, in our society, that seeing those leaders who actually stand out is such a privilege that we try to hold on to them as much as we can. If you can speak, that is the number one ticket to becoming the, the, the charismatic kind of leader individual that people are looking for. And when I say speak, I don't mean talk. That's an important distinction I make is that talking and speaking are two entirely different things. You can talk to your mom, but you need to speak to an audience. And when you speak, there's so much more power in what you're saying than when you talk. The conversation is, is fine. It's fun. But there's no energy. There's no power. There's no passion. There's no purpose in those words. And so being able to learn how to speak is, is definitely one of the most useful things I could ever encourage someone to do. I, I wouldn't see why it would be seen as a bad thing in any sense. Like, oh, you speak? No, I don't want to listen to you. <laughs> it does bring. And it's once again, this is with training. It's not something that. Some people, I would say, yeah, come on. I'm trying to phrase this and I'm just butchering the public speaking aspect of it, but <laughs> it's not necessarily something that you're born with. It's something you learn along the way. No one is a perfect public speaker off the bat. Babies mumble and stumble a lot. And it's just through interaction, talking <laughs> over and over again that you develop this. It's a skill that almost everybody can develop. 
Uh, there's, of course, some certain conditions where people are mute, but then you can do public speaking with body language as well. So there's mm-hmm. other ways to do public speaking. And it's once again, like Brendan said, it's an interesting skill. It's a very important skill that can help you go in pretty much any direction. And it's present everywhere around the world. <laughs> exactly. No, I couldn't agree more. Now, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll share it again at the end. Do you have any social media links, websites, projects, or anything else that you would love to share? Uh, like I said, I run two podcasts, uh, Talk Ag to Me. It's Talk Ag to Me. And like I said many times throughout this podcast, it's, it's based on ag literacy, teaching people, mostly consumers, about where their food comes from, the process through which it gets from farm to plate, and everything that goes in between, talking to farmers and politicians and teachers about everything that goes into producing that food and why it's important that we preserve that industry, and talking to consumers about what they think about these steps and kind of you know, teaching them some new things and actually learning from them what they already know and what they want to know more about from the ag industry. So that's that's a fun project I work on. And then the Gambit Speech Project or the Gambit Speech Podcast um, is a, like I said earlier, is, is a, a podcast where I talk about a lot of things I talked about here today, just tips on how to become a more confident speaker, uh, advice from some of the greatest speakers in, in history and world history. Uh, just all kinds of different things about public speaking, how to develop as a great speaker, funny stories I've had of, of speeches that have gone wrong, uh, just everything and anything that has to do with communication and not just stage speaking. Like I said, debates, uh, job interviews, just daily conversations, all these things that can make you better uh, as a communicator. And my social medias are respectively all talk ag to me on everything, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, and all Gambit Speech Project on all those same platforms. And I mean, if you want to follow me personally on on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, it's Brendan Black. Uh, I think it's Brendan Black 35 for Instagram and possibly Twitter. I don't know what my, what my Twitter handle is actually because I hardly ever use Twitter, but Facebook is Brendan Black, you know, wherever I'm, I'm, I'm there. So um, that's all I have. And like I said, by the time you guys are hearing this, because I, I know this is going to be posted quite some time in the future <laughs> from recording to break the fourth wall, uh, I should have websites up for both of those podcasts up by the time you, you hear this. So talkagdemy.com and gambitspeechproject.com will hopefully be up and running by the time you hear this. So check those out. And also check out Alex on my two podcasts. He's going <gasps> to be in an episode of each of them which is going to be super exciting. We're going to talk about, I'm actually going to spoil it a little bit here. Uh, in the Talk Agdemy episode, we're going to be talking about just Alex's experience with agriculture, any questions he has, just kind of teaching some fun things. Like, Alex, did you know that farmers use robots? I did. When you say robots, do you mean completely AI or just, uh, I, I know they use robots, but not, uh, I don't know anything about if they use AI robots yet. If that's there, a There's a little bit of AI involved. There's a little bit of AI involved. So that's going to be a topic we'll be discussing in, in my agate episode and in my speaking episode, where we'll be talking about how talking about things you're passionate about and talking about things that make you comfortable will make you a better speaker overall. So make sure you go check those out. And I'll be shouting out Alex all the time because my episodes are going to come out before his. So <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for, for all that. Well, if they didn't listen to your episode by now, it's been out for months breaking that fourth wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing? Yeah. Like, you should go back and listen to it. Yeah. Stop this episode while we're near the end, but stop it right now. Go listen to those episodes <laughs> and then come back to this one. Exactly. And now for the final question. The cream of the crops. No, well, that's a bad, bad pun, no, but it's not even the cream <laughs> of the crops. It's just a eh, question. Do you have any questions for me about public speaking? So a lot of my questions I'm probably going to ask you in my episode <laughs> that I do with you. Um, the only question I could really think of right now is, do you have any advice with your public speaking experience for anyone pursuing this? Assuming nobody listens to my episode. Uh, what, what's your advice for someone who wants to pursue public speaking as a hobby? Well, first of all, they have to listen to your episode. It's a, it's an order. It's an order from time to your hobby. You have to. And secondly, a piece of advice I would give, but I know it sounds very generic. Just do it is the basic thing of it. Like just try it out. And I'd also say you don't have to necessarily start off by speaking in front of a giant stage. There's multiple ways you can practice public speaking. You can do voice acting. You can do debating, debate with your family. You can, uh, like, uh, Brendan said to do, uh, I was gonna say diagrams, not diagrams, <laughs> Right, read out some essays and stuff like that, or even try practice some lines from TV shows or movies. I'd say my best tip would to be, or would be, to just give it a try. Try different avenues. It doesn't have to be in front of a giant crowd. Try it again. Try it with your significant other, your friend, and then be also open to feedback. A great thing about public speaking is to also keep an open mind to how to get better. Because 
for myself, I don't know for a lot of people, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this in your episode, like having criticism against you is kind of tough. Like, oh, no, no, they don't know what you're talking about. This is, <laughs> I'm fine. But you do have to be open-minded to a certain degree saying, okay, well, this is where I need to improve. This is where I have to change. This is what I can keep. So yeah, my best piece of advice would be to try it out and also keep an open mind. Yeah, I couldn't say it better myself. So uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Brendan, for coming on and just sharing more knowledge about public speaking and putting my public speaking skills to shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Alex, for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. So if you guys want to learn more about Brendan, you can go check him out. I'll put all the links down below. They'll be all there, so it'll be very easy to click. And if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you'd like to show some more support, you can go leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or anywhere else you can leave reviews. Also, if you want to show some even more support, if that was a sentence phrased correctly, I can also <laughs> share with you on down below my Patreon, which is down there. And also I sell merchandise on Redbubble. So those are only optional and won't make your public speaking any better or any worse. Actually, it will probably make it worse. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, those are there optional if you're interested. So once again, thank you so much, Brendan. Yeah, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.